0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, So every month we deep dive into a different aspect of cinema, genre, directors, actors, or franchises. It doesn't matter. It's always fun at the Film Club. I'm Dean. I'm Bo. And this month we're talking about silent films, and this week we're talking about...
1: The Gold Rush.
0: That's right, 1925. Charlie Chaplin directed, starring, produced, written by...
1: Built the sets. Built the
0: set, masterpiece, The Gold Rush.
1: Built the studio.
0: Built the studio, yeah. Built two studios.
1: Yeah. And this is also our kickoff of January. This is our first episode of the year.
0: Yes, this is our first episode of 2024. And starting off on a really high note with, like, your your personal favorite director.
1: Oh, uh, one of them, Yeah.
0: Okay, and this is my personal favorite film that this director's made. There's, like, only one other film that's even close to this.
1: And this was the film that Charlie Chaplin wanted to be remembered for.
0: Yeah, I read that, and that's kind of interesting, because I, I don't know how many people out there realize that the guy with the bowler hat and the little Hitler mustache, that's Charlie Chaplin. In mm-hmm. Like, he is, like, the most well-remembered silent film star, maybe the most remembered movie star in history.
1: One of the most remembered people. Mm -hmm. I mean, pop culture-wise, you see the bowler hat, the mustache, and the cane, and the penguin waddle, you know that that's Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. It's like, you don't have to see any of his movies, You you recognize him as part of pop culture. It's
0: a very iconic look, and it's odd that he said that this was the movie he wanted to be remembered for, where... Like, he made, like, a lot of bangers. Like, The Great oh, Dictator, yeah. City Lights, Modern Times. Um, I know you're a big fan of The Kid. This was almost a Kid episode.
1: This was almost the Kid episode, but I figured that this one went, might be better because this is a little bit more flushed out from The Kid. The Kid was his first feature film, mm. and it makes me cry every time, and I didn't want to start off the new year in tears. Just because
0: Uncle Fester's in that movie.
1: It's true. He is in that movie. Jackie Coogan.
0: Which is weird, because it's, oh, it's Uncle Fester. He's the old guy from TV, and he plays the little boy. He plays the kid. Yeah, it's, Chaplin's uh, very interesting, because his career goes back so far to, yeah. like, dawn of cinema. Mm-hmm. And this movie's almost 100 years old, and it's still, like, relevant to film and television and pop culture up. now. Yeah, I, I'd argue it still holds up. But, um, but yeah, because, like you were, like, we were kind of, like, starting with, Charlie Chaplin, big, big director, your personal relationship with this kind, this guy, this filmmaker, you know, this, the, the oeuvre that this guy makes?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've watched his movies for years. It's hard for me to just pick my favorite because almost all of his movies are bangers. Mm. And yeah, I mean, I think I understand why he wants to be remembered the most for this one because he wants The Tramp to be, you know anybody, but he doesn't go searching for wealth. He's just moving along through life. He wants to be loved and he gets the girl in the end.
0: It's funny. Cause that's like the most by the people call that the most tropey by the numbers, like story you can come up with, but that's the story that Chaplin told a lot. Yeah. You know, his, um, Famous character, the tramp, mm-hmm. always starts off as the lowest bottom of the barrel you can get. Down on his luck. Super down on his luck rises as high as the story demands. Mm-hmm. Either that's like, oh, he caught the girl and he skipped town and he avoided mm-hmm. this and or oh he, you know, got the kid he wanted and he's not gonna be poor anymore. Like stuff like that mm-hmm. always ends up with the girl mm-hmm. or, you know, finds love or yada yada yada. But I think the gold rush is interesting because it is chaplain at his lowest low Mm -hmm. to the highest high with the love interest that I think is the least redeemable of his love interests.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, it's very different from the gamine in modern times, Mm -hmm. where they have just kind of, you know, they're both down on their luck, but... There's a relationship there, there's an understanding, there's a an attraction there. It's and,
0: not like City Lights where the girl is almost like oblivious to Chaplin for the first half of the movie? Well,
1: in City Lights, she's blind, so it's just, you know, she's trying to make a profit by selling flowers on the corner, and it's not until she hears the car door where it's like, oh, this nice man happens to be wealthy. But in this movie, it's kind of, you know, oh, that's nice, you know, he fought for me, but we're gonna tease him and pretend that, you know... I have a crush on him. Yeah. When I'm in love with this jerk that he got into the fight with.
0: Yeah, like, The Gold Rush is a very, um... It's a very interesting movie when you look at it on, like, the macro.
1: But she does redeem herself in the end.
0: Yeah, in the last scene. It's but he a- made
1: it count! He made it the count! The last
0: scene she redeems herself. But
1: I will go with you in agreement that, yeah, it's kind of...
0: It's a complicated it's, love interest.
1: Is it great? It's a word? I don't think it's a word. It's what is a word? I don't know. We'll, we'll forget it. But <laughs> I will agree with you <laughs> that um, this is kind of interesting that this is the one he wants to be remembered for when you have... Um,
0: like the Great Dictator. The Great
1: Dictator where it's, you know, it's basically a big F you to Hitler and it's just, you know, standing up and, you know, people should be more understanding of each other. The strong message it's, that is in the Great Dictator... But, you know, it also shows kind of, you know, how humble he is. Where it's just like, yeah, you know, I'm, I've am i played this character that's down on his luck. And it doesn't matter if he, you know, if he wins in the end. He's just looking for happiness. He's not looking for a payday.
0: See, it's it's interesting when you say humble. Because The Gold Rush is also his most expensive film. Yeah. Or his most expensive at the time. And it's yeah. his most profitable film.
1: It's the number five, uh top profitable silent film of all time.
0: Yes, and I think it's the number one most profitable comedy of all time.
1: And I think what's so shocking about this movie, because, you know, I've seen this movie a bunch of times, I really tried to analyze it for this podcast, only one of the scenes in this movie was done on location. Was
0: was it the opening?
1: Yeah, with uh, the men going up the mountain.
0: Yeah, which looks... Fucking huge.
1: And I mean, it messed with my vertigo. Watching it on my TV, I was just like, I'm gonna fall down that mountain. Like, I'm trying to hold on to the couch. Like, don't fall, don't fall. Yeah, I,
0: I, we should tell people what the movie's about. Okay, I I just realized this. We're like almost ten minutes in. I don't think we've told anybody what the gold rush is about. It's about the gold rush, everybody. But the, uh, Boom,
1: there we go. We right. told them.
0: But yeah, but I, I got the back of the box here. I I know, the first back of the box of 2024. I mean, we
1: literally have the back of the box.
0: We do have the back of the box, but it's the Criterion version. Like, I love, I love Criterion, by the way. Everyone, you should... Like, if you're looking for old movies, silent films, Charlie Chaplin films, some Fred Astaire, James Rogers, go Criterion. They're the best versions of those. But the back of the box usually is not describing what the movie is. It's describing, man, do you know how awesome the special features are on these?
1: It's true. They are awesome.
0: this I actually watched both versions of The Gold Rush on this last night. Because I accidentally put on the 42 version before the 25. What
1: an amateur!
0: I know, I know. But
1: you're always, boo! You gotta watch the 200 uh, minute version. You can't watch this.
0: Because Andre of the edited version. That's Tarkovsky's preferred version. But whatever. But um, the back, the the Gold Rush Criterion. It, it literally says it's like, oh, the Gold Rush, an indelible work of heartwarming hilarity. This special edition features both Chaplin's definitive 20 1942 version. Uh, for which the director added new music and narration and new restoration of the original 25. It literally just tells you, like, all the cool features on it. It Mm -hmm. doesn't tell you really about the plot. Some of them do, some of them don't. But I I have the plot for you guys. Okay. All right? Because the gold rush, the back of the box. A lone prospector seeks his fortune in the Alaskan wilderness. But once there, he is caught in a snowstorm with a gold miner and an outlaw. And through a comedy of errors, they manage to survive so that our lone prospector can make it to town and fall for the beautiful dancing girl. And he tries to win her heart, but he is thwarted by a, I wrote debonair jack, but I'm going to go with handsome jack, kind of an asshole. And our lone prospector thinks he might be able to win her heart with the help of that gold miner and a wealth hidden on the mountain. But that's generally the gist of it.
1: Yeah. There, there's hidden gold. Uh, they're the,
0: they're trapped in a snowstorm. They're trying to, like, survive. The first half of the movie is literally, like, a survival tale. Yeah. Because it, it opens with that big, huge shot where you get vertigo, where mm-hmm. they're coming down the mountain, and they're going up to the Alaskan wilderness. And it's huge. There's, like, a hundred-something extras. And,
1: and you've got, you know, men that are passing out in the snow because, you know, they're just trying to climb this gargantuan mountain. And it's so interesting that, you know, Charlie Chaplin got this idea from a trip that he took to Alaska, seeing men, you know, climb the uh-huh. the mountain hills and the peaks. But also he got the idea really for the story at Pickfair, the home of Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's just kind of. You know, in the biopic that we watched and reviewed Chaplin last year. Yeah. You know, we see... Our, our th-
0: longest episode of... Uh, our longest, like, You and Me episode really? last year. Yeah. Chaplin was the longest episode where it was just you and me with no guests. Wow. Yeah. It, it was a long episode, and I, I lie, most of it was us being like, where the fuck are his other seven kids? <laughs> like,
1: what the fuck? We the- just keep missing people. Like, where'd you go?
0: Oh, yeah. It's like, why is no one mentioning any, like, Buster Keaton? Mm-mm, Where's D.W. Griffith? Mm-hmm. United Artist is unmentioned in this film.
1: It's, like, briefly mentioned. But-
0: it's, it's mentioned in, like, passing in, yeah. like, a filler scene But, yes, yes, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. I keep... That movie annoys me, even though Robert Downey Jr. is so good in it.
1: You love that movie.
0: It's... It's it's a good movie. It is just a movie that irks me to no end. Because I... It should have been a miniseries. It should have been, like, a four-episode, hour-long miniseries.
1: Because, I mean, he lived such a long life and such an interesting life. It's like we needed to hit all these different facets of time that he passed through. But... To tie it to to Chaplin, just to see how interesting it was for him when he gets these ideas. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, oh, this movie about, you know, people that are looking for gold, and, you know, there's an outlaw, and there's, you know, the lonely prospector.
0: I mean, he also got the idea from the Donner Party. Yeah. You know, the whole, because there's the thing, it's like, well, they ate each other, but they ate their shoes and all this Mm -hmm. other stuff before they resorted to, you know, Mm -hmm. doing what they did. And it's like... Chaplin takes like really tragic stuff and makes it comedic like a lot of his movies are kind of like modern times is like oh uh people are being worked to death in factories and people are getting hurt and he turns it into like a comedy yeah of like setting and airs and all these other things
1: yeah because i mean if you're gonna do just a straight drama you're gonna get you know issues kind of like with the great dictator where people didn't understand that it was satire
0: which is hilarious to me because The di- Great Dictator is a, like, a, it's a comedy. It's a
1: comedy. It's a
0: political comedy, but it from the from the opening, it's, it's satirical.
1: Yeah, but that just shows the genius of him where he's able to mix in, you know, real life issues and throw some comedy on it. So it's, you know, not too much. Well, you're just trying to shove this down my throat. It's like, no, I'm trying to inform you, but also make you laugh at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he's always been a little bit of like a political filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I mean, the immigrant got him into a lot of trouble. Oh yeah, and uh, the immigrant was a movie that's pretty critical of the immigration process mm-hmm. to the United States. But that's not here today. We're here to talk about uh, the gold rush, and I I think we should go back to like the beef we had with Georgia in this movie, mm-hmm. who's uh, the leading lady, the love interest. Yes. Uh, the dancing girl in our plot synopsis. Yeah, she is the most complicated figure in the movie. In the fact that we, d- I don't really like her through most of the film because she's she's a little mean. She's she's pine- playing with him. She's playing with him. Yeah, because she's in love with the Jack character, a handsome Jack. I think is what they call him.
1: Jackass. You Jackass.
0: Know. Yeah, that guy. And again, she's only redeemed in the last like scene of the movie. And it's one of those things where it's like, I know Chaplin, he always has a love interest that, you know, mm-hmm. the Tramp Pines for, right? Yeah. That's in every one of his movies. It's part of the the mm-hmm. oeuvre, it's the auteur thing. But all the other ones that at least I've seen have been like, okay, they're on his level or they're, or they're above his level, but they're like good people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She's the only one I'm thinking is like, you're not really a good person. You're mm-hmm. kind of like, kind of a bitch, ain't gonna lie. I mean, am I a little off? Am I being too mean to her?
1: Well, I I think, you know, she's she's kind of a bully. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, her friends really, you know, yeah, let's play a prank on him. Let's do this. And you have, you know, handsome jackass that's like, oh, this fool, you know, I'll beat him up. I don't care. You know, anything to impress you. But I could have any of, you know, those dancing girls over there. I don't need you. Yeah. So it's just this vicious cycle with these group of people. And it's just, you know, you've got the lonely prospector that's like, I only have eyes for you. And it's over time, you know she starts to see, "Wow, you know, you really would you know do anything to appease me and to make my friends happy and doing to anything me. to
0: win my heart.
1: Yeah, And that's finally, you know, at the very end, she's kind of like the
0: last scene of the movie the is the only time she's legitimately nice to him.
1: Yeah. and and I think it's important because it's you know it's you know, by that point he's already wealthy. And it's kind of this thing where, you know, he doesn't have to really test her. She, you know, steps forward and tries to protect him.
0: Yeah, because she still thinks he's that poor, lonely prospector. Mm. And it is a thing where she's like, altruistically, she is helping him. Yeah. But I'm almost like, too little too late, honey.
1: Yeah, but I mean, when you're in love, you're in love. And, you know, even when he finally does hit wealth, he's got that same, you know, crumpled up picture that he has of her. Right next to him, because he just, you know, he has everything, but he doesn't have her.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess that is something that's interesting in the in the chaplain canon, is even, you know, he, even if he has wealth, he's always like, well, wealth means nothing without love, right? Yeah,
1: that's why it's like, you know, yeah, I'm sure anyone would love, you know, oh, I, I just, you know, lucked into a million dollars. That's fantastic. But he's just kind of like, cool, you know, I got some nice clothes now, but it's not really what my heart wants
0: which is a sweet narrative uh turn that he does in, in this movie mm-hmm. but i mean the that's the narrative turn the character driven stuff the genius is in, in the comedy yeah. aspects the building of these gags cuz you know we mentioned it's a survival drama for the first half and then the last half it's like they go when they go back to the cabin it's just like another like just like um disaster movie Mm -hmm. you know the whole cabin gets flown off it's heated on the edge of the cliff and they got to manage to survive and i'm you know curious do you think these like the cabin bits is that his best gags is this is the is does this movie contain the best gags of chaplin's career
1: i think I, i think so i mean it's so hard because i love all his other movies But it's just, you know, you have the chicken gag, you have um, the eating of the shoes, Mm -hmm. uh, you have the bear. Yeah. It's just like, there's so much going on and it's just because he makes everything feel so real. It's like, yeah, I could totally believe that this is happening in the middle of nowhere when it's, no, it's happening on La Brea Boulevard and it's just, you're able to disguise your set into an actual world. Hmm. And I think, yeah, this has to be the best of the best.
0: I mean, just just when you look at, like, the sets, like you, you said, you know, the cabin set, you're watching and I'm like, oh, like, the whole cabin's actually moving.
1: Mm-hmm. It's teetering.
0: Which is, like, fascinating that <laughs> you would think to do that. And just, like, the, like, logistics of doing that. Because mm-hmm. it's, I think we mentioned this when we talked about Chaplin before, is his greatest strength and his greatest flaw was the fact that he had infinite pockets Mm -hmm. he could kind of do whatever he wanted i mean in 25 i don't know how like secure he was financially but more or less he could do kind of whatever he wanted and that meant that any idea came into his head he'd be like all right yeah let's let's do that so his movies took forever to get released his movies took forever to make Mm -hmm. because they never had scripts he just kind of figured it out as he went along and they became these huge huge projects Mm -hmm with and, like
1: um you know the the cabin teetering over the side of the the cliff yeah that was something that they wanted to try to do practically they couldn't and it was someone on set on probably one of like the, the special teams on set that told them, you know we can build a, a small replica of the cabin and just you know kind of force perspective shoot it, do it with it, miniatures yeah you know make it look like you know it really is happening and it's just like you know for 25, 24, whenever this was filmed, uh-huh. that's big. Not compared to today, where it's like, you know, oh, if we need to do a miniature of something just to, you know, create the scene, no problem. We have a ton of artists on set that can create this. But in 25, I-, I can imagine it was a small group of people that were like, okay, let's see if we can build this and make this look as realistic as possible.
0: I mean, people have been using miniatures in, like, really early cinema but it's the thing where it's integrated so well, and also when they do the gags where, you know, it's obviously, like, superimposed where mm-hmm. they're over the image. But I'm like, it's it's kind of seamless. Yeah. Like, there's, like, okay, some of them are like, uh, they're kind of looking a little floaty, but I'm like, look, if I wasn't really paying that close of attention, I could I could miss this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just an interesting thing is, you know, for 1925, Chaplin's still trying to push the envelope for what film can do because, yeah. you know, it's like, it sucks, it sucks to suck, right? He's gonna make this movie. And then the next, like, two years, that's when sound kicks in. That's the jazz singer. yeah. And then his career has to hard shift immediately because, you know, this is his last film release before the advent of sound.
1: Yeah. Because, I mean, we have, you know, modern times that came out when sound was already a thing.
0: In, like, 31, mm-hmm. 33 You had, like, the next movie he releases is The Circus, which Circus is good. Circus is a good movie. But that releases in 28, a year after The Jazz Singer. And that movie was successful, but it wasn't as successful as The Gold Rush. No. And, you know, it's always always the story of Chaplin of he held on to being a silent, to making silent films as long as he could until it just became impossible to Mm. work in mainstream, like, films anymore without making them sound pictures.
1: And I mean, you know, what a way to break into the sound with The Great Dictator.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, The Great Dictator is a masterpiece. Again, it's like Gold Rush and Great Dictator, it depends on what day you're talking to me that they're the best movie.
1: Oh, yeah. But it's like, I can see where he's coming from where it's hard to imagine the little tramp speaking.
0: Yes, that's very true.
1: Because he is so able to, you know, convey his emotions and to, you know, make you feel your emotions. With just his eyes, or just, you know, a mannerism. And it's just like, yeah, I, I can't imagine him, him going off into, you know... um,
0: A monologue.
1: On, into a monologue, where it's just like, it probably wouldn't make as big an impact as, you know, just his eyes.
0: It also doesn't help that um, Charlie Chap Because in real life, Charlie Chaplin was English. He grew mm-hmm. up in, like, very, very poor, like, circumstances... Mm-hmm. But as he got older, he kind of developed a a very posh British accent, Mm. and it
1: your Irish was coming through. I know my (laughs) apologies,
0: but he had a very like posh British accent that did not translate well to a uh, down on my luck tramp. Can't Mm. really, you know, get things on my side, but I'm gonna keep on trying. He, (laughs) it's a thing where it's like you know he opens his mouth. He has a very nice voice. Mm -hmm. The 1942 version that I listened to, he narrates over the whole movie. Which, you know, it's a very nice voice. It sounds like your grandfather's telling you a bedtime story. It does not track with the guy on screen. No. at all. And
1: it goes with, you know, his message of wanting the Tramp to be anybody. He could be anybody, any country. You know, this person could do it all.
0: Mm -hmm. And he could be, and he is the ultimate everyman.
1: Yeah. Because it doesn't matter, you know, you don't have the subtitles, you could just sit there and watch his movie and understand what's happening, and you could feel something from the movie.
0: Do you think that's why Chaplin's endured for so long? And why the Gold Rush has endured for so long? Because, again, Gold Rush, he starts the worst of the worst Mm -hmm. he could, right? Shows up to Alaska, he has no money in his pocket, Mm -hmm. he's literally, the first thing that happens to him is he's trapped in a cabin with some crazy dudes, and he's gonna starve to death
1: well i mean you see him you know scaling in the mountains and he's just wearing his bowler and his suit
0: and he's being sh- and he's being followed by a bear and he by just doesn't a, notice by it by
1: a real black bear
0: okay i i i watched i did watch the whole both versions of the movie and there's the bear shows up you know in the beginning mm-hmm. there's and then the bear comes into the cabin as a the whole thing i was a little concerned because i knew this was 1925 mm-hmm. Like, how close was he really to that fucking black bear? Was I, there some force photography? I, mean, I really hope there was. I'm
1: sure there was a little bit of forced photography to make sure that he was safe. But, you know, him being kind of a per- perfectionist, I could see him being like, well, yeah, I don't want a guy in a costume. Like, you know, when we, when we do the scene, you know, when they're running out of the doors in the cabin with the uh. bear, you know, it's like, I could see, you know, okay, now we need, you know, somebody in a costume. Well, but well, for this, it's like, well, I the... want it to be, you know, a real black bear behind me. Well, there's
0: the one shot in the cabin where it's obviously a guy in a suit, yeah. right? And that's when Chaplin's actually, like, holding on and kind of wrestling yeah. with it.
1: Which makes sense. But
0: anytime he's not, like, touching it, mm-hmm. then it's a real black bear. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, like, am I going to see Chaplin get mauled? Like, like, is this happening? But it. I mean, it...
1: The, the 20s were a very different time.
0: Oh, God, yes. Oh, God, yes. I mean, it's... I I know it's a thing where people are like, uh, yeah, it's a fucking black bear. We use animals in movies all the time. Like, fucking... Dude, back in the day, if that black bear got out of hand, there wasn't, like, a wrangler. It was a dude with a shotgun. Yeah. Like, it's wild. They were still shooting live rounds on set, which was wild to me. Because I think when they're playing... Because there's the scene where they're playing around with a gun or whatever. And I think that's, like, a a live round they fire in that scene.
1: Probably. I mean... I, I don't know when, you know, like the, the dummy uh bullets came into be.
0: Well, it, it wasn't they came into be, they came into fashion because up until like when James Cagney was doing like White Heat, the gangster mm. movie, um, they he had like issues on set because they were shooting real bullets at him when he was like ducking undercover.
1: Yeah, I and, would have issue with that too. Yeah,
0: and it mostly is because he's like, Why can't you get a guy who can aim better, who's not like getting so close to me? <sighs> But that was like a real thing during James Cagney's time, and yeah. I was in like the thirties and the forties. Mm-hmm. So I can I can imagine Chaplin probably like, "Ah, it'll be fine."
1: It'll be I'm fine. fast, <laughs> you know, I can outrun him. I'm quick, mm.
0: you know. It's it's the whole thing where it's like you know,
1: you like know, King it, gets
0: credit for being the better stuntman.
1: I mean, if a, if a black bear were to get onto La Brea Boulevard at that time, it's just a bunch of orange groves. It'd been fine. Not like now where you know there's cars and there's people and there's a lot going on. There's things. Yeah, there's things going on.
0: But yeah, but it's it's like the thing where it's like um like Chaplin or Keaton was the better like stunt man. Like like that was the power of Keaton's movies is everything he did was real. Did right?
1: Keaton break his neck? Or oh, he, oh yeah, <laughs> he
0: he broke his neck. I think he broke his ribs a few times, but he broke his neck on camera. And it's a it's one of the famous shots. I think it's in Cops. He gets up on top of um, a train car mm-hmm. and he grabs one of those like like uh, ropes or whatever that goes to like the water to mm-hmm. put in your steam engine. And he goes down. The water like releases because it's a funny gag. Oh, he thought he was gonna escape, gets you know covered in water, mm-hmm. but it was five hundred gallons of water dumped on his head. Oh yeah. And you can see in the shot, he doesn't land on a pad. He lands on the railroad tracks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So he gets hit with that, breaks his neck, but he gets up. Dusts himself off and runs off. And it's all one shot. Mm-hmm. So he breaks his neck, just runs off. Yeah. He didn't realize he broke his neck until they did a physical for him when he was, like, in his 50s. Uh, but but that's the thing. Keaton's stunts are, like, you know, way more impressive. Like, they're way more, like, wow, that's, like, way more hardcore. He's going farther than Chaplin ever scary. did. They're Yeah, some of them are scary. And that's, like, the impressive thing mm-hmm. is, yo, know, if if Keaton's, like, one foot off either way, he's gonna die. But, like, with Chaplin... It's always fascinating to me when I see Chaplin do something more than, like, the Pratt Falls and stuff like mm-hmm. that, because he wasn't as, like, a physical comedian as, like, Keaton was, but he was way more intelligent about building gags mm-hmm. and making, like, very simple things work.
1: Like uh, eating the shoe.
0: Eating the shoe is a funny sight gag. I was talking about the dog. When oh, they're doing yeah. the dance, the dog because that is one of the most like simple gags in the movie, and I la- and I laughed crazy like crazy for it, yeah. Because oh, he picks up Georgia and they're gonna and they're having a the nice mm-hmm. dance, but his pants keep falling because the Charlie Chaplin's the tramp is a schmuck and doesn't own a belt, and he- he's
1: not a schmuck, he's just down on his luck and can't afford a belt,
0: can't afford a belt, and his pants are way too big. And he gets over to, like, a table, and he's, oh, he gets a rope, and he needs to tie yeah. it around to, without Georgia noticing. He's like, oh, finally. And then when they go off, you realize the rope's connected to a dog, and it's and a then big the dog's dog.
1: following, yeah.
0: And then, you know, oh, they spook the dog, and the dog runs off and takes, you know, the tramp with them. And it's like, oh, that's a really, in that's really good setup to a joke. You know, you have stakes, you have payoffs, and, and it's, it's very like, interesting. It's
1: like when they eat the shoe, and then afterwards, there's no replacement shoe. So it's like, you got to use whatever you have in your cabin. I love
0: that attention to continuity is after they eat the shoe, um, the tramp literally just has a rag over his foot for the rest of the movie. With rope. It's wonderful.
1: And it's like, you know, good on them. Even at the very end when they make him put on his his costume or, you know, his clothing when they found the mine. Like, could you put, you know, your old mining clothes back on? We want to take a picture. And it's that attention to detail. He's got the rag with the rope on his foot. It's like there's no replacement shoe. It's not like oh crap, we didn't you know think about this. We just kind of put him back in the costume. It's that uh, that attention to continuity.
0: I like it. I like it. That's skill right there. That's skill. Kino. Oh, but yeah, like I mean, we could we could talk about Chaplin all day, right? Oh yeah. It's the thing with the Gold Rush in particular. That I find so, like, interesting because, like, a lot of people... Like, he wants to be remembered for the Gold Rush, like we said as much earlier. But is this... And, you know, I think we both kind of agree this is the best movie, at least his best silent movie. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to me that as time has gone on, this has kind of lowered in people's opinions. In things like City Lights, The Great Dictator, mm-hmm. have kind of risen as maybe critical consensus oh these are his best films these are most important work Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering do you think that's a new appreciation for his other work or do you think that's people looking at the gold rush and thinking it's just a straight comedy like it's not as like swan sawny as city lights is Mm -hmm. it's not as Historically important as the great dictator is. Do you, I'm wondering your thoughts on that. Why I, do you think the critics have changed?
1: I think more people are just going through his catalog of work mm-hmm. because there are so many films that he made that it's like, yeah, we have these really big films that everyone focuses on, but there's still more in the catalog. So it's like, I think people are finally going through and they're finally analyzing and saying, hey, he can produce, even if it's not, you know, one of these big ones that, you know, was the, the fifth, you know, rated or grossing film of all time it's just you know that man was able to spin out gold like nobody's business
0: i mean his i think his filmography isn't actually that big if you're only counting features right yeah because let's he has a lot of shorts a lot of shorts and and let's be honest most of the shorts are lost to time at Mm -hmm. this point but for features i thought he only made like 10 movies
1: i mean that's still pretty good
0: I, yeah, like, that's, like, you know, Tarantino's going out at 10, right? Yeah. But, like, you know, you think about it, he had a career that lasted from, what, the 19-teens? 20? Like, when did the kid come out? Was that, like, 1919 or 1920? (sighs) I
1: think the kid was 1920.
0: Okay, because if it's, like, 1920 or whatever, all the way to his last movie, like, Lady of Shanghai, I think that was, like, the 50s, I think? Maybe the 60s?
1: The kid was 1921, um, he did Limelight, which I think was in the 60s, um, Monsieur Verdot, that was maybe, like, the 50s. What I he... think
0: Verdot was, like, the 40s, like, the mid-40s. I Because th- I think it was, like, right after the war, and that's the movie that got him into a bunch of trouble, and he couldn't come back to America. But I'm, I guess its it's kind of, like, neither here nor there. 47. Yeah, I guess it's neither here nor there, but it's a thing where it's interesting that Chaplin's career... Spans 30, 40 years. Yeah. He makes 10 movies. It's like, that's like Stanley Kubrick, right? He starts in the 50s, gets all the way to like 1999, 13 films. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, and it's kind of weird with Chaplin where it's like, with films, like, when there's not that much in his, like, catalog, mm-hmm. that you can still find new appreciation for movies. Yeah. You know, the like, the critical reappraisal of Vertigo, right? Mm-hmm. You know, people thought that was Hitchcock's worst movie. Then it was like, eh, it's one of the Hitchcock's better movies. Now it's Hitchcock's best movie.
1: Yeah, that makes no sense how people would think that that was one of his worst films.
0: It happens all the time.
1: It's it- like, Vertigo is just... I don't even know. I'm in awe every time I watch it.
0: I mean, like, I can see why people wouldn't like Vertigo, but not appreciate Vertigo as different. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like, um, you know, The Great Dictator, I think, I don't know, I don't know if that movie actually made all that much money, because I think that movie was another one of those films that got critically reappraised later on, because, you know, when it came out, everyone was like, oh, Chaplin's doing uh, a riff on Hitler, and that's way too a serious a subject for a clown to be making fun of, and it's... All these other things.
1: But, I mean, the, the box office for The Great Dictator was $5
0: Oh, uh, that's pretty good for, for what? 1940? For 1940? For 40? Yeah, that's... Yeah, no, that's pretty good. I mean, uh, but that is a movie where people generally reappraised it later on, mm-hmm. saying, like, no, Ke- or Chaplin's best work is in the silent era. Yeah. His sound films are good, but his best work's in the silent era. I didn't hear people talking The Great Dictator as his best work until... Maybe ten mm-hmm. years ago, something like that.
1: I mean, you also saw the Great Dictator for the first time like ten years ago. See, like I was late so, to the party. You so, know, you know, it was brand new to you. Like, wow, they're just barely talking about it. Like, nah, dude, it was new to you.
0: Uh, that happens. That that's the beauty, you know, of this podcast. It's the window of my observations is all I am bound to. Uh huh. But um, but yeah, um, you know, we also there's also the whole thing about um the gold rush. There's like the two versions. Yeah. Have you seen both?
1: I've only seen the original. I haven't seen the the forty two. Oh, really? Well, yeah. You've had my criterion this whole time, so I haven't I, been able to watch it.
0: I apologize, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, you know, like Chaplin did go back and he re released like all of his silent films. Yeah, and he got rid of all the the title cards, and he rescored all of them, mm-hmm. and he added his own narration over it to basically tell you. The story. And it
1: Which is, you know, again, you know, just... He's miles and miles ahead of his time.
0: He he George lucas his movies before anyone he else. Did. He did. You know, he re-edited the movies, too. Yeah. Which, also, by the way, like... Because, again, I watched both of them. The 42 version, I don't think is better than the original, but it makes the Georgia character way more likable like way better like it cuts a lot of her like oh i'm just being mean because i'm you know the pretty girl and you're the nerd it cuts a lot of that shit it makes her like more resistant to the handsome jack character Mm -hmm. it makes it way more sympathetic throughout the movie but also the ending they don't kiss anymore yeah because by that time he divorced her so whatever
1: yeah, which, you know, we're going to have to talk about Georgia because that's a interesting story in itself.
0: Which doesn't help because Georgia the character was played by Georgia Hale, the actress. Yes. They're both
1: Georgia. Georgia Hale plays Georgia in the movie, but that's not originally who was Georgia in the movie. It was actually Lita Gray, mm. who became Chaplin's wife during the production of this film.
0: Okay, uh, was that wife number three?
1: Uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to pull something up to see, you know.
0: Which wife that was? I
1: think this is wife number two. Okay. But, uh...
0: Chaplin had a lot of wives.
1: Yeah, it was an interesting thing where, um, she was supposed to be Georgia. I think she shot a little bit of her scenes. Uh-huh. Uh, she ended up getting pregnant during production and they figured, let's switch her out because, I mean... Yeah, you know, you're going to have...
0: She's going to start showing eventually, yeah, and then you're going to have to just stop production anyway. Yeah,
1: because, you know, George's costumes in the movie are either, you know, the, the slinky black dress that we see when whenever they're in the dance hall, mm-hmm. or the big furry coat when they're out in public. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, obviously she's going to start showing soon. And I know production was also halted for a little while because his twins were born during the production of this film.
0: See, that's the wild thing about this movie and about Chaplin in general Mm -hmm. and you know when i say like oh you know his his greatest flaw was all the infinite money and he just took so long for everything he literally cast his wife in the movie they shot some she got pregnant the twins were born and he was still producing he was still shooting the movie
1: and they had to slow production down because the twins were born and he was like i need to be there for the birth of my children so that's why it kind of makes sense why there aren't so many feature films because life stuff was going on and it was like, well, it's my, studi- my, it's my studio, it's my money. So I can, you know, put the cap on it with, you know, all right, I got to be home to do this, this and that. I'll come back to the project, you know, in a couple of weeks or in a month.
0: It's just the thing where it takes him so long to make a movie.
1: It does, but then you see.
0: I mean, we uh, haven't had a movie from the guy in like oh, 70, 80 years now. This <laughs> slow Pope Chaplin.
1: One of these days, we're getting a new film. One day. But you know, with all these roadblocks that he hits when he's making these movies, and then you get the final product, and you're like, "Wow, this is amazing! This oh is, yeah, this is one of the greatest films of all time."
0: Well, I think that's the again. I'm 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 mostly being snarky mm-hmm. when I say, "Oh, he took so long," and blah, blah. blah. He had infinite money. Like, it, it sucked because we didn't have a lot of a lot of stuff from the guy. Like, if he, yeah. like, compromised a little bit, we would have probably had double the output. But if he compromised a little bit, we might have had worse films, you know?
1: Yeah, and I mean, it just makes it more interesting, you know, uh, drama-wise, was that make, the beginning of this film, the making of this film, Lita Grey wasn't his wife. This was someone that he, you know, met, you know, really liked her. She
0: became she, wife number three not too long after the gold rush. She, raps. she
1: became wife number two because you know she did become pregnant. Uh, they kind of found out that they weren't really compatible with each other, and then Georgia Hale, who was uh, the the leading lady of the film, they started up. A, That's a right, Georgia
0: Hale's wife number three.
1: <laughs> I don't know if she's wife number three or well, she's
0: after Lita Gray. She's
1: after Lita Gray, but I think they just kind of had uh, an affair together. So that's when we get the kiss in the end. This is like, you know, oh no, I have feelings for you. This is a real kiss. This isn't a, you know, I gotta fake it for the cameras. This is like, you know. I mean, you
0: feel the spark.
1: Oh yeah, you could totally see the spark. I've seen that clip of the two of them kissing on the back of the boat used for so many different promotional things. Mm. They're like, oh, isn't this cute? You know, back in the black and white days, you know, even people were romantic back then. It's like, yeah, they're, they're people, you know, <laughs> romance and love existed.
0: It's like a thing where it's like, guys, we, we've been <laughs> smooching dames since the dawn of time.
1: Who doesn't love a good smooching?
0: Smooching
1: Danes.
0: <laughs> dames.
1: <sighs> I know you've missed doing that. I've missed. <laughs> we haven't recorded in a this. long time.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pe- peek behind the camera. We haven't <laughs> recorded an episode in like a month.
1: Yeah, I think uh, our year in review, we recorded like the last week in November. <laughs> it's yeah, been a while. It's
0: been a very long time. We we needed to take breaks.
1: We're back. We're ready. And it's just It's interesting to see because, you know, you're able to talk about the genius of these actors, filmmakers, directors, But just to see, you know, the personal stuff that they were also dealing with at the time. It's like, okay, so you started a relationship, you got married, you had children, your relationship dissolved, and then you started another relationship. All all within the span of one film.
0: One film production. Yeah. Yeah. That's, again... It hadn't even
1: been cut yet. This is still the filming.
0: Absolutely insane.
1: But apart from all the craziness that was going on in his personal life... We gotta talk about one of the most iconic, iconic scenes of this movie. <laughs>
0: great segue. Great segue. Uh, we have to. The marriage fell apart, but there's one really awesome scene in this movie.
1: <laughs> it is. The roll dance.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's like, that's probably, that is probably the most iconic Chaplin bit, honestly. I, I can't mean, think of anything more, like, permeated in a pop culture.
1: I mean, apart from him walking around with his cane, him sitting at the table doing the roll dance... It's also one of the saddest scenes of the movie.
0: It really is. Because it's, you know, it's it, it,
1: it's so cute. He's doing the roll dance for Georgia and her girlfriends who are over for New Year's Eve dinner.
0: But they're not really over. It's just a, a dream he's having. Like, oh, I can't wait for the kid. He, and he does the whole thing. And it it's also something that's been parodied a bunch.
1: Yeah, because this, I guess, was in a Fatty Arbuckle short. I think, in the early 20s or the teens. Yeah, it, it was, was... not an
0: article short before this, but Chaplin, it's like the thing where it's like, oh, D.W. Griffith didn't invent anything. He just stole it. Well, yeah, but he made it popular. That's what Chaplin did with the roll dance. you yeah, now I... everyone mimics the Chaplin roll dance.
1: Yeah, I, I guess it was in a movie called The Rough House that came out in 1917, or a short that came out. But, you know, it probably wasn't to this elevated level the Chaplin does where it's just, you know, oh, let me impress the girls. Let me do this role dance. And then we'll see it again in Benny and June with Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. We see it in Chaplin where uh, mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. does We see it. it
0: in The Simpsons.
1: We see it in The Simpsons. It's been done so many times. But in, you know, these great these great montages they do of Charlie Chaplin, that's always one of the the big highlights is him doing the role dance.
0: And I... I think it's because that scene isn't just for comedic effect it's also a scene that kind of encapsulates the character the drama the sadness mm-hmm. of it you know oh he's not doing it to impress the girls he's fantasizing about doing it to impress girls that aren't there yeah it's a thing where he's like oh i came up with this bit and i can't wait to show somebody because oh they're, they're gonna think it's so sweet in a humdinger
1: that scene broke my heart you know it's like you know He worked shoveling, uh, shoveling businesses, you know, out of the snow so that he can not only cook them a dinner, Mm -hmm. he also bought them presents. He decorated the cabin for them and it's just, it's heartbreaking when he's just, he wakes up and the candles have burnt all the way down.
0: This is an accidental New Year's film. Watch it at New Year's. Great way to start the uh, the year.
1: (laughs) Just upset. (laughs) Just sad. Disappointed
0: in life. Uh, no, no one loves me. I'm alone. And
1: then, you know, the handsome jackass and the girls show up and George is like, wow, we really took this prank too far.
0: We were really mean to this yeah. guy. Huh. When, when we in had 20- no right to be. And in the 25 version, oh, fuck him, whatever. In the 42 version, oh, what have I done? <laughs> it's, again, I only bring it up because it is like a night and day difference.
1: You're going to have to let me have my criterion back so I can compare them. Never going to
0: happen. Ah. But um it's it is it is hilarious honestly just it it's one of those things where the gold rush to me is just it has Chaplin's best like emotional mm-hmm. beat in in his filmography, it has the best comedic beats in his filmography. It's the most impressive to look at. Yeah. You know, just, like, the scale, the lengths he went to to get the gags to work, the Mm -hmm. sets he built, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the special effects of superimpositions. Computers weren't invented. He had to do that shit by hand. Yeah. You know, and it's also the thing where, like, watching it, it's the most, like, sympathetic, I think, I've ever seen The Tramp. Because I'm not a chaplain guy.
1: I, I think the most sympathetic is probably this film and the kid. Where, you know, he takes yeah. on, you know, this abandoned baby. And it's just, you know, what do I do? You know, I, I've never been a parent. And it's just, you know, him, you know, kind of learning how to be a parent. And then the state wanting to come in and take the little boy away from it. And it's like, you know, no, this, this is my child. You, and it's just...
0: You watch...
1: Oh, it makes me cry every time. You watch the
0: kid and then you hear... Uh, um, Toshiro mofune from Seven Samurai with the baby and the burning village. It was me! It was me the whole time! And that's Chaplin for the kid, right?
1: No, then you hear, you know, you gotta play over that, his song, Smile. That'll really just...
0: Snap your soul in half.
1: <sighs> so, so bad.
0: But, but like I was saying, like, Chaplin's never been, like, my guy, like...
1: You're a Keaton guy.
0: I'm a, I'm a Keaton guy, right? Because I find, like, Keaton's movies just, on average, funnier. I find, like, the stunt, like, just the work involved is more impressive. And we're
1: talking about Buster Keaton, because yeah. if we're talking Keaton's, Michael Keaton's my o- man. Of course,
0: of course. Really, Michael Keaton.
1: I love Michael Keaton. Hmm,
0: interesting, interesting. Uh, but like I'm He's Batman. Of course. Yeah, but I'm like a Buster Keaton fan. Mm-hmm. I think his movies just on average are a little more like impressive. They're a little they're funnier on average, but like Chaplin Do a
1: backflip.
0: I mean, he can do a backflip. <laughs> but like the Chaplin movies that I've seen cuz I've seen a lot of them at this point, they're way more how do I I, I I'm trying to think of a good way to put it. If as a Filmmaker, they're more put together mm-hmm. right like the compositions are a little cleaner and chaplin's way more involved in like sentimentality and yeah. drama than like keaton is you know because his movies i think charlie chaplin is annoyed he had to make comedies because i know before the gold rush he tried to make a straight drama and that one failed. I, I don't even think he started it. Like, he directed it. Mm-hmm. And it was a straight drama, and it failed. And then he was like, all right, fine. You don't like my dramas, then I'm gonna make a comedy. I'm gonna make a comedy so fucking big, you're gonna wish I never made a comedy ever again. And then it, he made The Gold Rush. And
1: it's so shocking that this was his first United Artists film mm-hmm. that he starred in. Yeah. And, it, it, and it's The Gold Rush. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you create a a company with your two best friends, Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks... And it's like, you he know... He really
0: third-wheeled on that relationship.
1: And then you're gonna, you know, make one of the greatest films of all time.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, like, that's that's the thing. Because the mo- first movie he made for them, that was... I'm nah, gonna totally blank on the yeah. name. Because it was the one he directed and starred in, so no one fucking cares about it. Mm-hmm. And that's what everyone at the time thought. No one fucking cares about it. You didn't star in it. It wasn't funny. Sorry, Charlie. Try again next time. So he makes The Gold Rush. That's the big hit. And it's almost the thing where I wonder if Chaplin resented it a little bit, that he couldn't break away from the Tramp. And I know he, like, loved the Tramp, and that was, like, that universal character, the everyman, but he could only really make, like, the films as the Tramp throughout his, like, career. It
1: just goes with everybody that gets typecast as a character. You know, you begin to resent that character after a while. Uh, after you leave that character for a while, then you're like, you know what? I kind of miss him. It wasn't that bad. I think, you know, it was just, I needed a break from that person. But it's like, you know.
0: It's also a thing where it feels like Charlie Chaplin has tried tried to do the the send-off to the tramp like three fucking times in his career. And each time he's like, every time I'm trying to get out, they pull me back in. It was fucking Godfather 3 all over again. They kept pulling him back in.
1: Oh no! Not in quality
0: in terms of that one line. I don't know if we'll ever do Godfather Part 3 on this podcast. I I
1: told you, don't watch it. You didn't want to listen to me.
0: I needed to know. I needed to know how bad it was. It wasn't that bad. And did you learn? It wasn't that bad. It was pretty fucking bad. Um, But yeah, like, it's it's just the thing that's interesting about, like, the film in particular. Because it's a movie that has a lot of weird history to it. It's Mm -hmm. also a movie that has evolved... A lot because, you know, we're talking about movie like the uh, reappraisal of his films, right? Mm-hmm. How City Lights overtook this This his most, like, um, critically popular film. Yeah. How The Great Dictator, through my little, little window. But on average, the people I talk to, if they've seen a Chaplin movie, they like The Great Dictator most. Mm-hmm. But this movie, when he re-released it, or re-edited it, re- he George lucas did right? Yes. This thing won two fucking Oscars. It did. Or it didn't win, it was nominated for two mm-hmm. Oscars. Silent film, right? Silent film star. What's it nominated for? Music and sound design. Ugh. I wonder if Chaplin was a little peeved.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, considering he had his hand in everything in this movie, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, what about set design? What about... um. Best Picture.
0: Could I get a Best Actor nod? Be- best yeah. Actor
1: nod. Um, I don't know when Best Screenplay came in, if that was one of the it, I think it was forefront. there
0: already. Okay. By, by 42, I think it was already there. Yeah, no, it was definitely already there. 100% was already there, because Kane won Best Screenplay in 40. Okay. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, so I, I understand. Yeah. You know, totally pissed off. You know, it's like he put his blood, sweat, and tears into this movie. And it's just like, yeah, I can see where you know it's like, okay, this other movie took it, but you know the actor just acted. When you have, you know, it's like.
0: I also, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. I swear, all right, you know, I'm, Beyonce had the best music video of all time. I'm sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt you. Don't yay it up. It'll, it'll be great. He's, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't even make a yay joke in a straight face. But um, it's funny because when you think about it. It's a re-release of a movie from like 20 years beforehand Mm -hmm. and the Academy's like, yeah, it's still the best picture of this year. Mm -hmm. If they, if George Lucas re-released Star Wars in theaters and just like the recut where Han shot, you know, doesn't shoot first or whatever, and that was nominated for best picture, I think people will look at it crossways, right?
1: Well, Han shot first.
0: Yes, he did, but not in the re-release, not in the re-edit. We
1: don't accept that.
0: We don't accept that. We
1: them. don't accept that. Han shot first. Yeah, like,
0: that, that version doesn't exist. I burned my VHS copies. It was exactly. awful. But, um... But Except I, if
1: you don't burn VHS, you just trade them.
0: Exactly. But it's, it's weird to think about, right? Yeah. Where it's... It's not even like a remake because it's the same director or whatever and it's the same movie generally. Yeah. He just, like... What is it? Updated it for the mm-hmm. talking or sound yeah. audience, right? But it's weird it was nominated for Oscars. It was weird that everyone was like, yeah, yeah, this is still the best shit that's going on today. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, it goes with uh, when he got his honorary Oscar in the 70s, and he had that uh, 12-minute standing ovation. It's just like, you know, it's like this man that helped, you know, evolve film, that it's like, you know, decades, decades later, people are still... No, your films were some of the greatest of all time. We can never forget them.
0: Also, to your point, like, it's in the 70s. Chaplin already had, like, two strokes and was, like, on his deathbed. And they're like, now we're going to honor you. Why didn't they give it to him back when, you know, like in the 50s when all the, when everybody started like coming back to his movies when TV kicked on and his stuff just played forever?
1: I mean, you had, you know, a lot of political stuff, you know, stuff with him and Hoover. Mm-hmm. There was just a lot going they on. Had to
0: wait for Hoover to die for Chaplin. To, <laughs> you know. I wonder if that's one of Charlie Chaplin's greatest achievements in life. is, or You know, something he's like lying there. He's like 80 something. He's like, you know, darling. My greatest achievement was I outlived that prick, Hoover. <laughs> Fuck that guy.
1: Just... I mean, I mean, Hoover made his life a living hell for no reason. He made everyone's life a living hell. Yeah, for no reason.
0: I mean... Okay, yeah, like, don't get me wrong. There were some reasons Charlie Ch- people would not like Charlie Chaplin on a personal level.
1: But I mean, you know, the fact that you're just... you're there to just bully because you got nothing better to do?
0: Yeah, basically. that That's the Hoover way.
1: So I was like, uh, you know, just let this man create film don't exile him out of the country.
0: Don't don't run him off to, to Switzerland so he could be talked to by Anthony Hopkins.
1: <sighs> I mean, we love Anthony Hopkins.
0: We do, but he's he, Anthony Hopkins isn't real. That's another thing about that movie that irks me is that character's not real.
1: Well, I mean, Anthony Sir Anthony Hopkins is very real.
0: Yeah, but that character, the,
1: the character that he portrays, no, is in not in Chaplin, Is
0: not real. Yeah. yeah, but um, but yeah, like. It is. This is one of those movies that's really weird to talk about because it's kind of a perfect movie. It is. It just, yeah. It, it is. is. I
1: mean, uh, the the chicken scene's hilarious.
0: Yeah. The,
1: I mean, you know, the
0: chicken y- scene's hilarious.
1: I mean, you we get a lot of men in chicken outfits often in TV and film. I feel like this is the the dawn of it.
0: Chaplin did it. Chaplin did it better. If he didn't they, do it first, he did it the best.
1: They had, you know, uh, someone else, a stunt person, perform the chicken thing. And they were like, they can't mimic Charlie. So Charlie's like, you know what, let me hop into the outfit and I'll be the chicken too.
0: That I don't think it was nearly that, like, altruistic. It's like, you know what, I know I'm tired, but I will take it. It was probably like, <sighs> you know what, he can't do it right. Mm-hmm. I am Charlie fucking Charlie. Give me the costume. Get you hold Mm -hmm. my stogie all right we're gonna do this from the top all right everybody all right places places because i imagine Chaplin was kind of like uh um uh, a gene kelly type where he was like look i know your feet are bleeding but we need we need a couple more goes because you're just not hitting your marks i feel Chaplin was that kind of level perfectionist he's a
1: perfectionist hey you're the same way on set too (laughs) you you try doing all the jobs and i've got to be like you need to take a break. Let people, you know, do what they need to do. It's and you're fine. like, I'm just going to go quietly scream outside. It's
0: fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'm not that bad. Fine. But yeah, but it it is kind of a perfect movie. It has drama. It has tension. There's action in it. There's, you know, the romance, even if the romance doesn't always play, mm-hmm. be, you know, because it's like, oh, I don't know if I like her or not. Yeah. By the end of it. And that's sweet. You know. A scene where you know she saves him and he like just is so ecstatic and they kiss. It's a sweet scene.
1: I mean, it also shows you know Charlie Chaplin where he could have written it where you know oh yeah I've be- I've become wealthy. I am. And you he know- blew.
0: Her. I thought that's where it was going. The yeah, first time I watched totally this movie, totally could have
1: blown her off and been like, oh Georgia, yeah I remember you. You know you left me for handsome jackass. Well screw you. I'm gonna leave you. And that it's
0: he should have mm. when she's like oh no saves him and mm. then you know. She's like, and he starts walking up and she's like, but, but Charlie, lone prospector, aren't you going to take me with you? And he's like, honey, you can go with Jack. I got a nicer, br-. and it pans up and it's his now pregnant wife up there. And then he's like, and he walks off, music swells, big explosions,
1: doves <laughs> flying,
0: doves everywhere.
1: This isn't big fat liar. Okay.
0: Doves, doves everywhere.
1: <laughs> but you know, that that's just, you know, a testament to his character where it's just, you know. Yeah, she's done him wrong, he still loves her, he's loved her from afar, and then, you know, he makes her redeem her character, where it's, oh, there's a stowaway on the ship, and, you know, even though she's traveling with what little she has, she's willing to pay his ticket fee to make sure that he doesn't get arrested.
0: I think there's, okay, I think that's the only thing I think this movie could be improved by, is if there was a dual love, like, uh, interest. If there was Georgia, the one that Charlie pined for, and then there was another girl that Charlie that um the tramp ignored, Mm -hmm. but who loved him, and you know the end of it or whatever, like he goes with the you know the good one and not the hot one. Like that's I know it's cliche as fuck, but it's it's 1925. It's very
1: it's up there with your cliche of you know take off your glasses. My God, you're gorgeous.
0: You know I hate that cliche. Love that cliche. (laughs) That cliche. Is the is the death of subtlety <laughs> in cinema. And it, in the Barbie movie it worked because it was hilarious. But I it's uh, one of the best
1: scenes. <laughs> but in, in like I'm so ugly. Well, if you know I took off your glasses, I could see your pretty face. You know if
0: I took your glasses off, you'd still be Margot Robbie. Did you notice?
1: Except that's one of the other Barbies. I know it's one Mar- of the other
0: Barbies. You get my point.
1: No, my favorite, one of my favorite from that sequence is uh the Barbie where she's like this Photoshop is just too hard. And then the, the kid comes up. you the select up. tool? He's like, you know, if you have the select tool and, you know, the layer selected, it's a lot easier. It's like, yes, yes.
0: <laughs> no, no. The one thing about Barbie that I know is your favorite, because oh. you you shouted it in the theater.
1: Was... <laughs> I jumped up and I was like, that's my boyfriend.
0: <laughs> it's like, hey, hey, is this the Godfather? Yeah. Have you never seen it? I've never seen the Godfather. <gasps> do you want to sit here and have me talk over the whole movie while we try to watch it? That sounds great. And you were like, I never felt more seen in a movie. Fuck Dean. He's ruined every movie experience we ever had because he talks over it all. What
1: makes it better was that you watched this with your family and your sister for her birthday and all of your family turned to the, like, Dean, that's you.
0: I know I'm an awful human being, but I'm not that bad. But, no, you, um, you
1: just love your your tropes.
0: Uh, Again, I don't think I we know, needed
1: another love interest. I, I mean, we d- already had the triangle with handsome jackass, the lonely prospector in Georgia.
0: It's the thing where I wanted a more earned love interest. Like, like it feels like here's I think the thing. It's earned. No, no, I it's the thing where I feel the lone prospector. He is earned to be loved, mm-hmm. right? He has has worked hard, he has faced all these obstacles, Uh, he's almost died a bunch of times, fought a black bear, almost fell off a cliff, Mm -hmm. right? Boom. He's earned his, like, status. He became a millionaire, Mm -hmm. we're like, go for him. But it feels like Georgia, we don't see her, like, do enough to, like, be be the reciprocal of his love, right?
1: I think that's where we have to step in as viewers and kind of put the pieces together where... You know, when she slaps handsome jackass in the face when he's trying to kiss her, when mm. she's, you know, kind of, like, she's finally saying, you know what, I can't well, be doing this anymore. Well, I, here's
0: I'm, the problem, because she writes the note, like, I'm sorry for what yeah, happened she, last night, I love you, and gives it to Jack, and then Jack, as a cruel joke, mm, gives, gives it, it to, to to the tramp, mm-hmm. you know, gives it to the lone prospector, Charlie Chaplin, the artist formerly mm-hmm. known as Prince, gives it to him, and... Then he thinks, oh, Georgia, you do love me. And then he's like, I love you blah, blah, blah. And she's, like, confused about it. And then the next time we see her, she's just on the boat. And it's, like, a thing where, like, we can get the context of, like, oh, you were so mean to that guy. I don't love you anymore, Jack. I'm leaving. I'm going back to the mainland because I hate Alaska. Because, be real with you, I assume most pretty women hate Alaska. Just a thought. Or at least being stuck in a prospecting town of the turn of the century, Alaska.
1: I mean, when you watch videos now, like vlogs of people living in Alaska, I mean, just the prices alone of groceries, because things have to be imported to Alaska, it's like, yeah, that'd be the turnoff where, you know, my groceries shouldn't be $500.
0: It's just a thing. It's a thing. But, like, that's the next time we see her. She's leaving Alaska, and then then, um, we have the tramp there, and he's now rich, and he's like, Oh, blah, blah, and the only true sincere act of kindness she implements is when she
1: hides him from the security on the ship because and,
0: they're looking for a stowaway. And, and when and, she's you know yeah. fighting
1: to keep him on the ship and willing to pay, but but what I'm saying as a a viewer of the movie, mm-hmm. we get these little you know bits and pieces where you know when she finds her portrait and the flower underneath his pillow. And it's like, you know, obviously the girlfriends chime in, they're laughing and they're like, oh, you know, what a nerd, you know, he kept this picture of you. But we see it in her eyes where she's, you know, kind of softening it, you know, wow, Jack wouldn't do this for me. Jack, you know, wouldn't care. He wouldn't, you know, keep this, you know, piece of me with him. So it's like we start to see her soften, but because her friends are bullies, she kind of has to be, you know, oh, you guys are right. Yeah, you know, what a loser. But it's like, you know, on the inside, we can see like, wow, you know, no one's ever really, you know. Vowed to love me and to take care of me and willing to go into, you know, absolute harsh conditions to make sure that I never have to work another day in my life.
0: No one's, I, I, I can see that because her performance is giving you that. Mm -hmm. Her performance is definitely telling you, oh, like, this guy is sweet on me. He's a good, honest person. Mm -hmm. Maybe I could, maybe I could love him, right? Right. But it's a thing where, as the movie goes on, there always feels like she is almost humoring him mm-hmm. a little bit, like she's kind of stringing him along, she, yeah it almost feels like you know, I got the hots for Jack, and you know you're nice and sweet, so if Jack ever leaves, then yeah, I'll mm-hmm. settle for you, yeah, and it's it's the thing where it's like in the forty two version, it's way more like Jack's kind of just a handsy asshole, yeah, and she's more sincerely like pining for it's like a mutual like love right in the 42 Mm re-release and i think Chaplin did that consciously because you could you can read georgia being a not good person Mm -hmm. in the 25 release and i think he brings it way more to the forward in the 42 so it's just way more clear that no she always loved him from the start Mm -hmm. yada 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 Me and her were banging on set. It's totally fine, guys. We were there.
1: That's why it's like, I think you, you know, really have to look through the character and be like, you know, yeah, you know, she's got the hots for Jack, but it's just, you know, is he going to be able to stand up to the level that the Lonely Prospector can? No. Because Jack will take off in a heartbeat to go take care of Jack. Yeah. Uh, You know, oh, there's another, you know, new pretty dancer at the dance hall. Oh, yeah. You know, I'll go after her and, you know. I'll come back for you later when, you know, things kind of go sour between the two of us. It's
0: it's almost the thing where I wish there was more explored with the the Jack Georgia Mm -hmm. character. Because, like, yeah, obviously we're not going to have a lot. Like, the movie is already long for a silent Mm -hmm. comedy. I think it's the longest film Chaplin ever directed it's like oh, it's like ni- it's like um like a hundred minutes it's like ninety nine minutes or something like that
1: yeah that I don't know
0: yeah i th- I think it might be i I don't really know but it's a pretty long movie all things considered for a comedy and it's one of those things where I want a little more like mm-hmm. with Georgia just so it feels like she is actually confrontational with Jack Jack isn't yeah jack's an asshole but i want it to be more apparent that georgia is not okay with him being that level of an asshole yeah she's with him because he can take care of her Mm -hmm. and maybe she's like really does like the you know the tramp because he's sweet she likes the lone prospector Mm -hmm. because he's kind to her but she's like i can't be with you because you couldn't take care of me like i want a development of that Mm -hmm. in this movie and it's the only flaw of this movie that is Other than that, fucking flawless.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you know, for a movie of this time, it's not like movies now where we have that time to kind of build on the character growth.
0: A three-hour movie isn't something that's alien to theaters anymore.
1: No, so that's why, you know, with this movie of this time and day, it's like, yeah, I could see where you need to cut corners and kind of, you know, if we're going to focus on character growth, it's going to be The Lonely Prospector.
0: And it's also like you know Chaplin had full reign and Mm -hmm. maximum power, and he's like I'm the fucking star. And the last movie I made that I wasn't on screen didn't do well, so he's probably it's a conscious choice.
1: And because you know he's a genius, he's like yeah, I could have her redeem herself in just a scene. I can you know (sighs) quickly. I mean not you know not different
0: different of opinions. I think it's it's not she's not redeemed enough
1: no it's not enough but i mean enough to you know feel like there's something there versus Uh, you know you know some movies where they leave you kind of with well i don't feel content with how this ended i feel like there's something still missing
0: or movies that end and make you angry like la la land
1: (sighs) i mean i did see a reel the other day where they're like hey you want to finish la la land and not feel like your heart's broken just end it nine minutes earlier before it ends. And I was like, you know what? You got a point there. I think I'm going to start doing that because every day I wake up and I'm like, fuck, me and Seb should have ended up together. It should have been this way.
0: No, that's not the point of the movie.
1: No, no. I want it to be happy, damn it. Oh,
0: God. not Life isn't about happy endings. That's the whole point of La La Land. Ugh. But um, yeah, the gold rush. has a happy ending? And I, I can see where you're getting at where maybe she doesn't like, it's not all the way there, but she's on the way. Yeah. And I think that's something where it's like, now she, like, like the tramp has taken all these steps towards her, mm-hmm. waiting for her to take one step towards him. And finally at the end, she takes that one step towards him. And then that's like, okay, now then, that that's a foundation. You guys can work as on As
1: well it. as her being on the boat alone. I mean, that could have been the first step. It could have been, you know what? He went off to do this and, you know, I'm finally going to leave Jack. I'm going to go off on my own and I'm going to figure it out because this is just toxic. So it's like, you know, it could have been, wow, she took that initial step. Jack isn't here with her. Her girlfriends aren't here with her. And now she's doing whatever she can to protect me. All because I was nice to her when we lived in the same town a few years ago. Because I think it's been like two years.
0: So- Something like that. Like the whole
1: course of the movie? No, um, after they find the gold and they're, you know, coming back. I don't know if it's like two years or it's been like a year. You know, a good chunk of time's gone by.
0: Oh, for like the ending when they find the gold versus when they're on the boat? Yeah. it's It's just a straight cut. I don't think it's that. I don't even know if they mentioned a time skip.
1: I thought I saw somewhere that there had been, you know...
0: A a year, you know,
1: I I thought I I I saw on a title card somewhere that a year or something had passed.
0: It it might be, I'm not going to lie, it might be there. You've seen this movie way more than I have. That's why I feel Um, like,
1: you know, there must have been something there. Because
0: two years is in your
1: head somewhere. Yeah, I don't know why that two years is sticking with me. But yeah, I think that just could have been a thing where, you know, he saw that she took the initial step and then trying to protect them and be like, you know what, that's enough for me. Hmm. It's like, you know, I've already loved her unconditionally. And it's, you know, she finally did something for me unconditionally, and it's like it was worth.
0: It it's a, it's a sweet it's a sweet look on the film. Mm-hmm. I will say that, and I will say that's pro that is more than likely Chaplin's intention. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a thing, because I mean, don't get me wrong, I still give this movie like five out of five on Letterboxd. Yeah. It's great film, perfect. It's just like the one gripe I have with the movie that just irks me. And even then, I still don't like how he tried to fix it Mm -hmm. on the re-release. But, you know, like, neither here nor there. Final thoughts on The Gold Rush.
1: I mean, I absolutely adore this movie. Um, If you haven't seen it, highly recommend. It's on HBO Max. Uh, It's really easy to find.
0: Yeah, I believe it's public domain. The 25 version is public domain.
1: Yeah, that became public domain because they just didn't renew the royalties on it
0: it's also almost a hundred years old
1: yeah so you know it is a thing that you can watch um it's probably on youtube somewhere oh to it, be it is
0: it's like 15 copies are on um, youtube um,
1: but to to tie it to you know personal feelings to me uh being able to go down to a studio that still exists it's now the jim henson studio um but to actually see that these buildings are still there and see that a colossal movie like this was just filmed on this tiny studio it, it's magic and that's the kind of vibe that i get when we go it's just you know it's like wow you know he really was magic and he was able to create magic here so it makes these movies more special to me as a charlie chaplin fan um but what about you what, what's your takeaway from this
0: uh this again i think i said it at the top i this is probably my favorite chaplin movie um it to me again like like i've been saying the whole episode Best gags, mm-hmm. best narrative arc for The Tramp. Um, it's a five-star movie. The one grip I have with it is a very complicated way to navigate, mm-hmm. and I think Chaplin did it the best way he could. And, you know, speaking of, you know, the experience you had going to the Chaplin Studios, it is a thing where he is such a early, like, filmmaker, director he was creating magic on screen. Mm -hmm. And I think it was David Lean, the guy who directed, like, Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge of the River Kwai, Dr. Vago. I think he said it best, movies are a sort of dream. Mm -hmm. You're, You're crafting dreams. That's what movies are. And I think that's what Chaplin is kind of doing. It's this, like, very beautiful, like, nightmare that turns into this lovely dream into this comedy of surrealism. And I think it's a very beautifully made movie and it still stands the test of time almost 100 years on oh yeah you can still show this to people um i it. i think kids this plays great for kids oh absolutely like there's so much
1: physical comedy in this
0: piss easy you can show this to like a like a little kid and you're golden adults there some of them might appreciate it as like an artistic thing but there's something in there that's gonna make you laugh it's mm-hmm. still a well-made movie
1: but I do have one boo fact before we finish the episode and plug what next week is going to have.
0: Oh, whatever that may be, because I don't know what we're doing next week.
1: Uh, you know, you know. But uh, my boo fact of the day is the shoe, because a shoe is consumed in this movie. It was made out of licorice.
0: Ah, uh, delicious, delicious black licorice. I would pref- I prefer the shoe. I fucking hate black licorice. Yeah,
1: I am not a black licorice fan. Hopefully it was red licorice and because it's, you know...
0: Black and white. Black
1: and white. You know, you really don't pick up on the red, but...
0: That was the thing when he was eating the candle and in my head I'm like, is that just a carrot? Because I was trying to think. Yeah,
1: that's what I was trying to figure out too. I'm like, that looked kind of you know, the way that a carrot would break when you bite into it. Yeah. I'm going to have to do more research to figure out what the candle was. Or you might have been like, you know what? We go in full method, yo. I'm eating a candle today. Chaplin's like, I'm going to do
0: it myself. Hold my fucking stogie. Bring me the candle. I, I, he had a prosh British accent, but on set, straight Brooklyn. Ah,
1: yes. Brooklyn rage. It makes so much sense. But uh, next week at the film club, we're going to be watching a movie that I've only seen pieces of, but I, you know, haven't seen the full thing in its entirety. Uh Uh-huh. I think this movie's older than the Gold Rush. Not um, too sure. But we're gonna be well, talking about Metropolis.
0: Oh, Metropolis, yes. Okay, so Metropolis, I believe, is 1927. It's a oh. little it's a little older, but it was made Well no, this is
1: twenty-five.
0: Or or sorry, yeah, yeah. So um the Gold Rush is a little older. But uh Metropolis, it's made by Fritz Long. It was made in Germany. It is I would argue like you know the Gold Rush is impressive, right? Mm-hmm. Biggest American economy. When you're when you watch Metropolis, that might be the most impressive production any silent film has
1: had. Oh yeah.
0: I mean, there's some there's stuff like Intolerance where it's just you look at that and you're like, how the fuck could you have enough yeah. money to make this? You know things like that, but or like Napoleon where it's like, mm-hmm. fuck, that, that's a huge movie. But yeah, Metropolis. That's Fritz Lang. He is one of the great, He's one of the the goats of goats mm-hmm. directors, um, and that's one of his masterpieces. I've seen that movie a couple of times, and there's a bunch of different versions because it got lost and found a lot of times. Yeah, but yeah, Metropolis is a really good one. I'm surprised you've never seen it before.
1: It's a thing where you know I've seen like some of the big key scenes, but I just haven't sat down and watched it in its entirety. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to kind of you know really see it for the first time and to try to analyze it. Oh, you're going to could... go
0: in with a with a monocle. Uh, I'm the... going to
1: try. I have a feeling I'm just going to be sitting there like, what is going on? No,
0: it's not nearly as surreal and weird as you would think it is. It's
1: So we're not going full Lynch.
0: No, god no. Oh, okay. No, no, no. No, the movie it's it's a it's a express it's German expressionistic. Mm-hmm. It's very, you know, sci-fi and, you know, high concept. I <laughs> It, you'll understand when you watch the movie. And,
1: and I know it's, you know, a lot like Chaplin where it's, you know, very innovative for its time.
0: Oh, it's insanely innovative. You, yeah. Again, there's the opening couple of minutes you're going to watch and you're like, how the fuck did you make this in 1927? Yeah. But it's one of those movies that I think you're going to like and when you watch it, it's... I ain't going to lie to you, baby. Chaplin, political filmmaker. Lang was a big P political filmmaker <laughs> and you'll see it in this movie. And... There's some people who Chavo might have made fun of who really liked this movie for such reasons. But we'll get into that next week at the Film Club. But uh, where can they go? They wanted to listen to that episode. Well,
1: if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Podbean, also YouTube.
0: Yes, uh, you can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. as The Film Vault on YouTube uh, go there, like, comment, subscribe. I am trying my best to catch up to our current release schedule. Uh, that, for some reason, it just takes me a long time to get there.
1: It'd be like that sometimes.
0: But, yes, we should be doing just huge mass uploads of um, some of our previous months to try and catch up. So you might be getting, like, four videos in a week. So look forward to that.
1: It'll be interesting.
0: But if you wanted to know when we were dropping episodes, who our guests are going to be and maybe future events we're going to, you can follow us on our social medias at...
1: The Film Club Codcast on Instagram, where, I mean, that's our only social media at this point. Yeah. But yeah. you it's, know, It's
0: also the only place you can go to, like, interact with us, because we do not check YouTube comments or anything like that.
1: No, we don't. But uh, yeah, you know, you want to, you know, comment on our posts, uh, DM us. Uh, hit us up on Instagram or yeah like Dean said you can see who our guests are going to be upcoming episodes also events that we go to
0: is also where we collect our FAQs for the end of the year so if you drop a question we will probably legitimately answer it for you at yeah. some point
1: point. and I mean we love our year in review it just came out favorite episode really
0: your favorite episode every year
1: every year because we get to talk about all the movies
0: uh, but next week we talk about a new movie And with that,
1: we'll see you next week at the phone club.
0: Have a good week, everybody.